Uh, good morning, Creekside. Uh, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you yet, um, welcome. I'm glad that you're here and um, would love to get a chance to say hello after the service. Um, we're going to... Um, we're going to dive into, uh, we're back in our ser- sermon series, Hallowed Be Your Name, and um, we're looking at who God is. And, and in looking at who God is, trying to remind ourselves of some basic theological truths, um, not just so that we become smarter about God, um, but so that we get a sense of like who he really is and what that actually means um, for us. And in this um, section um, of it, we're trying to make that really practical. Um, what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to look at uh, two passages. One, in the Old Testament. Uh, that, that provides like a, a cry, I believe, um, a, an issue, a problem, uh, and then a New Testament passage that I think provides an answer to that problem. And so um, if you, if you want to get started, uh, open to Jeremiah chapter 2. I'll put it on the screen in a minute, but Jeremiah chapter 2 is where we're going to kind of pick things up in the Old Testament. While you turn in there, I want to tell you about um, a boss that I had when I was in college. I was in college, and to make a little extra money, I was working in like the, the on-campus UPS thing. They let us drive the truck with like no licensing for that, and it was awesome. And my boss, my boss was this amazing guy, like really, really fun, really funny, really great to be around. Um, and he, his whole thing, every single day that I ever interacted with him, he would talk about uh, the, uh, the glory days, which for him were like high school football. Like, like almost every day, he was like Uncle Rico on Napoleon Dynamite, just like, just like, uh, man, like, man, those were the days, you know, we ruled that campus, you know, whatever. And um, on the one hand, like, I totally understand where he's coming from with that. I spend more time than I thought I would trying to convince Laura and my daughters of how great of an athlete I was in high school. And, um, and I'm, I just, like, somehow there's something, some piece of me that's important to be like, no, but, like, you got to understand, like, I was, I was, like, really good, you know? Like, I really was. And she laughs when I say it, which means, like, she doesn't get what I'm trying to convey to her. But there's a, there's a sense of which, like, oh, those were the good days, man. Like I, like, I was, you know, I was in shape, and I was talented and whatever, and it was great. But on the flip side, right, um, you all know when someone's talking about, like, high school as the good old days, you know, you're like, okay, something, something's off there, right? Like, it makes us sad, like, okay, life now is not so great if the high school was the high point of the whole thing for you, right? I think that, uh, you know, it, it's not that big of a surprise. You look in, in, um, in the Old Testament, you look at Israel as a nation, and, uh, and they had, they had, gotten, had they'd been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Think of how terrible that was. God leads them out, and he's leading them eventually into the promised land, and they're sitting there looking back at the days in Egypt like those were the glory days. Like, oh, think of all the things we had to eat and, and how, how secure everything was. Um, and you, it's just so easy for us to um, misunderstand what actually makes life good and worthwhile and happy and all of those things. Um, I, I think I've got, a, I've got a little thesis for this morning, and it's this. We are terrible. We as human beings are terrible at knowing what actually makes us happy. Like, we're, we're terrible at predicting that. Um, and, and the reason I feel confident with that is from my own experience and from what I've heard from all of you guys, it's just this process ongoing of, of us just, like, um, try something out, and it, it does not satisfy like we want it to. And we try something else, it doesn't satisfy. Like, we're constantly um, just really terrible at predicting and knowing. Now, this is an old problem, and I want to read to you from Jeremiah 2 now. Here we go. Oh, first of all, uh, we're doing the four Gs, okay? So our, um, our four Gs are these four G statements about God. So we talked about how God is great. We talked about how God is glorious. This week we're talking about God is good. And so it's this attribute of God, his goodness. And the statement for us is God is good, so I don't need to look elsewhere. 
God is good, so I don't, I don't need to look around. I don't need to figure anything else out. I don't need to find it, that goodness anywhere else. God is good, so I don't need to look elsewhere. Jeremiah 2, uh, 12 and 13. God says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. Okay, so just his dramatic language, you can see he's like, be, be like shocked and appalled at this. Um, because, verse 13, my people have committed two evils. So what are the two evils that God's people have committed that make God say, like, this is shocking and appalling? The first one is this. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And let's just pause there. Two things God's going to say are just absolutely horrifying. The first is, they've left me. I'm the, God's saying, I'm the source of living water. I'm the fountain of these living waters, and they've forsaken me. So he's, he's like, this great evil that I've seen that we should be shocked at is that my people um, are here with me. I'm the fountain of living, of living water. Like, I'm this fountain that brings life and, and blessing and joy to these people, and they've turned aside from me. And God's saying, that's evil, like a shocking evil that we've experienced. Now, we've, we've been talking already um, about who God actually is, like who the Trinity actually is. And he is, um, we've, we've seen, like when we talked about God the Father, he is the source of all life. He is, he is pure being in himself. He's the only reason there's any being for any of us to experience. He's a source of life and love and creativity and every good thing in this world. Like anything we know about goodness or wholeness or health or happiness or any of that comes because God himself embodies those things fully. And we experience it by participation in him and in the world that he's created. Um, and so he's saying, I am the stream of living water. So think, think of a stream, think of a fountain, um, a, a spring that kind of comes up. It's like the beauty of it all is it's constantly refreshed, right? The water's always fresh. It's always refilling. And it doesn't matter how much you drink, how much you use, it's always full because it's constantly flowing. And he's saying, that is who I am. This morning, I really just want to convince you um, of something that's very simple, which is this. Um, God is like, God is the source of all life. God is the source of our actual joy. And, um, and I want to convince you of that. I don't doubt that you probably, like, you're here in, in a church service. You're probably like, yeah, I'm sold. Like, God is good, and he is the source of happiness. But I, I want to try to convince you of that, even though I think you probably already believe it, because I believe it, and I need constant convincing of it. A few statements from Scripture. Here's, here's um, David in the Old Testament. He's saying, God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So here's a man a few thousand years ago that's sitting here writing and just saying, like, God, like, uh, um, in your presence, that's where full joy is found. So I, I, if we did the poll, we probably all know the right church answer to this. But I'm just telling you, think through the, the, the sources of joy and happiness in your life. And if you did kind of uh, categorize all the things that we're looking for to make us happy, uh, what would make for the glory days or the good days or whatever, um, would it account for David's statement where he says, look, I, I'm telling you, where I find full joy is in the presence of the Lord. At his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. Like, do, do we actually believe what David's saying? David's saying it. Do we believe what he's saying? Paul makes a, 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 a strong statement as well in the New Testament. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So here's Paul. Uh, everything, everything compared to knowing Jesus, like this is the surpassing value in this and everything else is just garbage comparatively. Um, Paul found something in Jesus that he's just saying is so worthwhile, so satisfying that I make this kind of statement. And the question for us is, do we believe Paul or not? Have we experienced that or have we not? 
Peter uh, writes later, talking to a group of people that didn't directly see Jesus, but he says, though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you don't now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So Peter saying the same thing. The people that never even saw Jesus were just saying, like, you haven't seen him, but you love him. And there's this joy that's inexpressible that's just welling up inside of you. So people have been saying these things about God uh, as the source of joy and satisfaction and happiness for millennia. And here we are today. And, if, and if, um, if you know, then you know, right? If you know the pleasure that's found in Jesus, then you know exactly what they're talking about. They're like, yes, that's it. Now, it doesn't mean we don't forget. It doesn't mean we don't go wander. It doesn't mean we don't um, temporarily become insane and like try to find pleasure elsewhere. But we know what it's like to experience that. And I think there's also people here this morning that, that you don't know what they're talking about. You're like, that seems way over the top and that does not fit any experience I've ever had. I would say... Um, the question for you on offer is believe it or don't believe it. But if believe it, like try, like let's pursue this. Let's ask God, would you show me what that actually looks like to experience some of that? I believe it starts with asking and what we're going to see is, is some of how God shows us this. Now, here's the first thing in, in Jeremiah 2. The first, uh, the first thing that's shocking, the first evil that's shocking is they've they neglected the fountain of living waters in the second half of verse 13. And what have they done? The second thing, they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The second shocking thing they've done in turning away from this fountain of living water, right, constantly replenishing itself, constantly flowing, is they've hewn out cisterns. So a cistern then is like a container for water, right? And so they've worked hard. They've made these cisterns to hold the water. Now, a cistern is great, but at its absolute best, what a cistern does is you fill that thing with water, and then it's full, Right? Until you use some of the water and then it's empty, right? A cistern is great as long as it's full, but you've got to put everything into that cistern that's going to be in that cistern. So it's problematic because it's not the same as the fountain that's constantly replenishing, right? You fill it up. The other problem is he's saying these are broken cisterns. They don't even hold water. So you're, you're, you're like we as human beings, like we're so constantly coming back to this place where we're craving these experiences. We're, we're craving life. We're, claim, we're, we're craving love, like uh, meaning, value, everything. We're trying to like get it all and hang on to it. And he's like, we're stuffing it into these cisterns that we've hewn out. And he's just saying like, sure, but like fill it up. But it's going to be gone as soon as it doesn't, you know, you use it up. The, 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 the source or the um, supply you have is finite, but also your cisterns are broken and it's just going to leak and spill, and you got to be constantly filling up again, as opposed to God, who is the fountain, the source of these living waters. Um, we, we always like to craft ways that we think we're going to be happy. We craft these cisterns, these things that we think are going to be right. We're so confident of, like, uh, what we know is going to work for us. My, my sister is the person that, like, um, she goes to the doctor, and she tells the doctor, what she has and what prescription she needs to like get her there, you know? I'm always like, wow, like Sherry, like it's impressive. You didn't even go to med school and you like know way better than the doctors what you need. Um, I wish I could borrow some of that confidence in some areas, but I feel like that, that's us. Like we're constantly like, okay, no, this thing right here, this is what will make me happy, right? Or we, we pray for it. Like this is the only way I'll ever be happy or we, we set out pursuing our schedule, our finances, our time, everything like because this will do it. And I just think, again, we are terrible at knowing what will actually make us happen. We're constantly getting these cisterns dug out. And Paul Tripp um, says it like this. He says, we carry around with us our personal catalogs of if-onlys. So he says, if only I was married, then I'd be happy. 
If only I could snag that job, then I'd be satisfied. If only we could buy that house, I don't think I'd ever want another thing. If only my marriage was better, then I'd be okay. If only my children would turn out right, then I'd be content. If only I could achieve blank, I wouldn't want anything more. If our finances were more stable, then I wouldn't complain anymore. These are all like cisterns that we dig out, right? And they're all so relatable of like, yeah, I mean, like life's tough right now, but you know, just a few more months, a few more weeks, um, we'll kind of get some stability in this area and then everything will be fine. And um, Paul Tripp, I think just like Jeremiah is trying to remind us like, these things, like, we're, we're just bad at, at thinking, like, oh, yeah, it will be fine. But how many times have we said that in our life? If I just get this and then you get that thing, it never comes through in the way that we want. So my question for you as we get ready to turn to the New Testament. My question for you is, is, is God's statement through Jeremiah to Israel, is that relatable to you at all? The, the idea of the cisterns, what are the cisterns that you've been digging out to hold your stuff? And in what ways are those things leaky? I want you to ponder that. And while you ponder it, I want you to turn to John chapter 4. Here I see, in Jeremiah 2, I think there's this question that gets posed. There's this concept that's being raised. And in John chapter 4, we see this interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well that I think is this perfect um, answer, echo and answer um, to what Jeremiah was experiencing. And what we find with this woman at the well is she finds life in Jesus at a time and then in a place where she doesn't expect it at all. So there's a, there's a narrative going on here. I'm going to pick it up in verse 3. Um, and so he, it says that Jesus left Judea and he p- departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, so here's Jesus, and the scene is he comes to this town uh, in Samaria. He's a Jewish man. He comes to this town in Samaria, and he goes to the well, and he wants a drink. So all of that feels like narratively just great, but there's clues. And, and so John, excuse me, John, as he's writing, um, says it like, um, the Jews have no dealings with Samaria. Like, he's making a big deal about the fact that Jesus as a Jew was in Samaria. There was, there was beef between these two um, groups of people. Um, they, didn't, they, they, they both tried to worship God, but in different ways for all these historical reasons. So there was this beef, and he's just saying clearly, like, these two groups don't interact with each other. The woman herself is like, what are you, like, you're a Jewish man. You're here asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. Like, what's going on here? This is not normal. This is not okay. This is not what you do. And what I love about this is embodied in this whole interaction is the reality that Jesus never gave a rip about what anyone thought he should do. He didn't care at all that people thought you shouldn't be there, right? Jews don't go there, and Jesus is like, I literally could not care less. Um, Jesus, you as a man should not be interacting with a woman in this way. Jesus did not care. He was there walking through life as the fountain of living water, um, as we see in the the Old Testament in Jeremiah. He is God himself coming. He is the fountain of living water, and he's going to go and spread that life and that love wherever that life and that love is needed. That's what Jesus did. So it doesn't matter that, like, this wasn't done, this wasn't okay. No, no God-fearing, uh, church-going Jewish person at the time would have done these things that Jesus is doing. He doesn't care. He's there to offer life in this whole thing. And so he comes, he associates this with this woman, 
um, that no one else would, would interact with. Uh, scholars speculate that because she's there at the sixth hour, it's like the middle of the day, it's like the heat of the day, um, not when you would typically draw water. Um, she's there by herself. Like It, it must mean that they, she's kind of ostracized. She's on the edge. And I feel like it, it probably we could split this room into two groups. There's those of us that would be reading this and we'd be like, yeah, unwise Jesus for you to enter a situation like that where there's the taboos and whatever. Like, let's play it safe, Jesus. Let's make sure that no one gets the wrong idea. There's probably another set of us that more identify with the woman who's sitting there and ostracized and lonely and out there and Jesus comes and offers her life. Regardless of which side of that you're on, and maybe you're on some other side too, the beautiful thing, the good news in this is that Jesus is there to just offer a drink, um, and it's a beautiful invitation. So let's get into that. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself. Um, as, did his, uh, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is throwing out this analogy of like water and living water, and he really milks this analogy, and he goes into this whole thing. Water is great, like indisputably, always water is a good thing, um, but water, the satisfaction we get from water will always be temporary. Like um, drink, Jesus is saying, it's good, it's great, you need it. But drink, but know that like you'll have to drink again. You'll have to keep coming back. Um, I think of Jesus when he's being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And Satan's like, just you're starving to death. Make these rocks into bread. And Jesus says like, man can't live by bread alone. Like there's, there's this longing, there's this satisfaction that you can only find that can't be found in things that are good things like water and bread. You have to find something deeper. And Jesus is pointing to that deeper satisfaction that these things can't touch. Augustine, um, a long time ago, thousands of years ago, said, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find our, their rest in you. That's a beautiful statement. I think it's exactly what Jesus is getting at here. There's this itch that cannot be scratched any other way than in the presence of Jesus. The only way is to drink from this living water, which is him himself. Now, we look for it in like thousands of other places. And I feel like you could categorize our entire lives as the search for satisfaction in things that don't satisfy us. We look everywhere. The thing is, I think sin often, like as we go, like there's the good things in the world that we look, like our marriages and our jobs, whatever, these are good things. We look for satisfaction in them, but we're trying to make them more than they can be, and that fails us. There's also the sin that directly we're like, okay, I need some satisfaction, and so I go here, right? So whether that's drunkenness, whether that's lust, whether that's like um, uh, just like pure like manipulation of people, whatever, there's the sin, and sin can satisfy us. Like it really does satisfy, but it only does it partially, and it always does it as a parody of the real thing. Um, I, I love this statement in Hebrews chapter 11, um, where it's talking about Moses. When he was growing up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy this, this phrase here, the fleeting pleasures of sin. I, I just, I love that. It's acknowledging the pleasure of sin, right? But what does it do? It just calls it fleeting, okay? So we know what it's like. We're like, we need some like 
We need some rest. We need some comfort. We want some control in our lives. We need some satisfaction in life. And we go to these things, but they, the pleasure they offer is fleeting. It never satisfies us. And so Jesus comes, and basically he's just saying to this woman, and I think ultimately to all of us, like, there's this water that will leave you um, fully satisfied, right? He says in verse 14 there, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What, what I love about this is the Old Testament. Uh, G- God himself is the fountain of life, right? He's the fountain of living water. And so keep coming back to me and I'll keep filling you. The crazy thing with the New Testament is it's that and then it's more so because now the fountain of life with Jesus is like right there with them, right? But he's saying also though, I'm gonna give you this fountain in your very self so that, you know, the same way that like God with us is incredible in the Old Testament because he's with his people in the temple. God with us in Jesus is incredible because he's literally walking amongst his disciples, his followers. But then God with us becomes the most intense possible in the Holy Spirit because he comes and he lives inside of us. It's God within us from the inside out. It's crazy. Here we have the fountain of living life, that they, living water they can keep coming back to. Jesus is there saying, like, I'll give you this living water. But he also says, this, this fountain of living water will be inside of you, a spring from the very inside of you that will well up. So Again, how stupid are our cisterns that we try to hold these things when we ourselves are offered this fountain that just flows up from within us over and over again, replenishing, self-generating, bringing life and health and peace and love um, in us, through us, overflowing in this whole thing. It's so, so beautiful. Now, Jesus is going to touch in this next little section here on um, the cisterns that this woman at the well um, was looking in. Went too far. Hang on. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. So here we get a sense of this woman's broken cisterns. And you can see, you can feel the shame in this whole thing, right? Go get your husband. Jesus points to her and she's like, don't have one. And Jesus is like, yeah, divorced five times, right? And you're living like a live-in boyfriend now. Like this is, this is a problem, okay? And I, I've always read this as like, yeah, this woman is a problem, right? This woman is like um, just going through guys like crazy or whatever, um, but take a step back from that. I've, I've had to take a step back from that myself and think through um, what's going on here. I mean, even, even let's just say this woman is terrible um, and she's gone through five husbands because she's just really miserable and she's really um, like just going through guys or whatever. Imagine the pain of all that whole thing. Imagine the pain of each of these divorces, each of these marriages. There's something she's looking for in the marriage and it doesn't materialize. Imagine the pain of going through that again and again and again. And she's just in this spot where she's lost. But then think of like in this, these days, I don't know why this had never occurred to me before, but like in these days, women weren't like given all this freedom to just go do whatever, right? So it's like, oh, this woman just going through men like crazy, marrying, divorcing, like, um, you know, they, they couldn't do that back then, right? So think of a man that makes promises to her, a man that brings her in. There's protection and there's security in being married. And so man after man that's promising all these things. And then for whatever reason, maybe it was her fault. Maybe it was his. Always it's both, really. Um, there's this brokenness in the whole midst of it where this woman is just 
hope and then pain, hope and then pain, over and over again. In a society where she's ostracized because of the, of the um, losses of her husband, she's ostracized because um, she's living with someone that's not her husband, and just Jesus is putting his finger exactly on what these broken cisterns are for her. And Jesus is speaking then with, um, with hope in life. I like to picture uh, this woman coming to the well like this, you know, there's no faucets in the homes, right? So she's coming every single day to this well to draw water. It's kind of the background for her life. And you just picture her going back to the well, back to the well, um, finds a man, marries a man, keeps going back to the well. The, 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 the marriage dissolves and she's broken again, but keep going back to the well. Second marriage, third marriage, she's always drawing water from this well. What I love is that she found Jesus in a way that was totally outside of her expectations, Like, she didn't orchestrate this meeting with Jesus. She didn't go like, you know what? Like, life is rough. I'm going to go try getting water from a different well to see if that fixes everything. No, this woman was just in the spot there she was. She was trapped in this whole thing, and she just kept going back to it. And then one day, there's this thirsty traveler that's there, right? And that person ends up being the fountain of living water that offers her all this hope. I love the picture of Jesus just sitting there, waiting in her daily routines in a way that she didn't expect at all. Um... Ben, Ben, as he was sharing about um, communion, uh, just sharing something that becomes so common and, and uh, normal for us, uh, all of a sudden there's this, this day where he suddenly has this deepening encounter with it. He was in the same routines, but suddenly God met him there, and I just love that whole thing. We, we, don't, we don't predict how God works. We don't predict how the Spirit works. We don't predict when we will encounter Jesus. We, we can desire it. We can pray for it. We can long for it. We can put ourselves in the path where, like, um, we're praying, we're reading scripture, we're talking to God's people. Like, those things all matter and help us get closer, but we cannot predict how and when he'll work. And I just love the thought that one day, here's Jesus, a thirsty traveler, and she has this kind of weird conversation that just changes everything for her. I hope that we as a church can be people that are like open to being surprised, um, even in the like normal things that we have. I think so much of our lives, we're just like predictable, not surprised. We're like my sister, you know, just going in like, here's my illness, here's the, the cure, I need you to write the thing for me, let's go, you know? Um, I, had a, uh, I have a friend that I used to, he's a, he's a pastor, and I used to teach with him, and he would talk about the difference between teaching men and teaching women, okay? So you teach women, and he, like, as a pastor, every now and then you get a, the honor of getting to do that, and he's like, it's like they're, they're hungry for it, they're so thankful, they're like taking notes, it's amazing. It's like you go and then you teach men for a thing, and they're just sitting there trying to convince themselves that they already know everything you're telling them, you know? And, uh, and I'm like, yeah, that fits my personality and my experience both, you know? Um, obviously, men were amazing, but... Uh, <clears throat> Soren Kierkegaard has this thing where he talks about, um, uh, he's like a kid. Think of a kid uh, that's like, he knows he's going to get a spanking, and so he shoves newspapers down the back of his pants to kind of soften the blow of the whole thing. And he says, that's what we're like when we come to God. All of our religious routines and our, our, um, our scholarship and everything, we, we so often use it in a way that, that prevents us from, from experiencing the full impact of what God is telling us um, to do. We have these ways of explaining these things, ways of making ourselves numb to what God is doing. Um, for, for me, it comes the most alive when I think of a passage where, you know, Jesus says, like, sell your possessions, give to the poor, you know, and, I, and I'm like, well, you know, what Jesus actually meant was, like, obviously get yourself first the cars and the house and everything that you need, and then if you have left over, give to the poor. That's, of course, what Jesus means. 
Um, and so for Kierkegaard, taking the, the newspaper out of the back of your pants is a way of just saying, okay, Lord, whatever, whatever you want to say to me, like I'm, I'm ready for it. I don't, care if it. I don't care if it's painful to me. I don't care if it, but, but I want to be ready to be surprised by the Lord. I want to be ready to be able to encounter him. I don't want to be sitting there like, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I want to be sitting there just like, okay, Lord, whatever you want to say, however you want to nudge, however you want to lead me. And I would say even, even this morning, if you're here like, yeah, I've known the Lord forever. I know the pleasures that he's talking about. I would just say, open yourself up and say, Lord, if there's, if there's fountains, if there's depths of who you are and the life that I can find in you that I haven't been experiencing, Lord, here's my heart and, and just flood that into there. Like, I, I don't know how he does it. I don't know when he'll do it. I don't know where, why. Like, and none, of the, none of that makes any sense to me. But as we said, when we talked about the Holy Spirit, it's like, the wind uh, blowing, right? You don't, you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it goes, but like that's how it is to be led by the Spirit of God. He just blows where he blows, and we just, man, we just need to be open to him. So here's how this um, kind of wraps up with the woman at the well. I, I, think, I think it's all about this. Um, in verse 19, um, I think what's happening here is this woman is getting back into her forms of religion, of like structure for encountering God. And Jesus is trying to heal her of that and help her to see him as a person. So here, here it is in verse 19. The woman kind of changes the subject. She says, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What I see here is this woman has a religion question, you know? Like, like um, Samaritans, we believe that we're supposed to worship on this mountain, and you Jews believe that you're supposed to worship on that mountain. What's the best way to find God, this mountain or that mountain? So she's asking religious questions, like format questions, procedural questions, and Jesus comes in and says, look, like, the time's coming. Like, the, the, those that worship God are going to worship him, not here or there, but they're going to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's, it's not about where or how. It's not about how we, like, coordinate a worship service. It's not about how we put all the pieces together. It's about you've got to encounter the living God himself. Like, this is what actually matters. Jesus is saying, like, don't focus on all these external things. Focus on the fact that I am right here. I am the Messiah. I am the fountain of, of living water. I am right here. This is how you'll experience it. And, man, it's so easy for us to get caught up in where we'll worship, how we'll worship, um, what emphases does the pastor have? How does the band um, perform? Like, what, like, no, anywhere we are. Like, literally, you could be walking to your kitchen faucet, which might be the same as this woman at the well, I'm not sure, and you can encounter Jesus there. Like, you do not have to be in the perfect worship service for this to come together. And here's, here's what I believe deeply, and I've been reminded of this week, is we were made for him. Like, we were made, like, who we are as human beings was designed and knit together and every piece of us and how we function and all the complexity of our brains and our emotions and our bodies and everything were made to experience true joy, perfect joy in him. Now, I say that, I believe it. I've been more convinced of it than ever this week. 
But that does not mean, like, I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to be like, ah, actually, like, I need to find pleasure in this way. I need to find relaxation in that way. Like, I, I, will, I will absolutely walk away from God. But I'm telling you that I think, like, in my moments of walking away from the Lord, I believe that this thing, this avenue of finding life um, comes better through, like, whatever it is. And so I just want to say, like, a, like, our church family, this is what I know, um, there, there's people in this room that, like, are, you have got troubles with alcohol. Like, you're looking in alcohol to find the answer to the whole thing, and it's, it's become problematic. You, you know better than I know, like, how, de- how much of a dead end that path is, but you're there. there. There's people in this congregation that, like, drugs, that's the whole thing. Like, you're getting caught up on it, whether it's legal or illegal, and you're, you're caught up in that whole thing. There's people in this congregation that are involved in affairs. There's people in this congregation that are involved in, like, pornography. Like, th- these and a thousand other things— are these like dead ends where like in the moment we're like, okay, uh, yeah, I believe God's better, but um, right now I'm going to choose to believe that this thing is better. And what, I, what I'm trying to say to us is I would love us to be people that believe, not just I'm going to stop that because it's wrong, but also um, I'm going to stop that because it's a fake fleeting pleasure that will never satisfy me. Like, do I believe God when he says that fullness of joy is found in his presence? Do I believe that? And every time we choose something else, we're just proving that we do not believe that. We, we're like saying it to God again and again. And so the reminder is, the reminder is um, the same statement that we've had at the beginning. God is good, so I don't need to look elsewhere. Now we're going to go from here, and we're going to sin, and, and, um, and I will say because of the blood of Jesus, that's okay. Like he's, he has forgiven us, he's given us grace, but I need us, I need us to, to believe this statement. God is good. Like do we, when I think about God, do I actually think God is good and I will find the satisfaction and healing in him that I need, that my soul was designed for? I want to read to you a couple of quotes here. First one's from Paul Tripp. He says, this, this physical world, he's talking about all the joys we find in the physical world. This physical world was designed by God to be one big finger that points, that points you to the only place where your heart will find satisfaction and rest. It just means everything, every, every joy, every pleasure, every, like the goodness of marriage, the goodness of church family, the goodness of food and, and wine and these kinds of things. Like all of them are meant to point us to God himself who ultimately satisfies us the most and the fullest. G.K. Chesterton, he says, In the moment, we think that pl- the pleasures of sin are real and the joy of God is insubstantial or distant. But in truth, it's the other way around. Every joy we experience is but a shadow of the source of all joy, which is God. Marriage, for example, is a reflection of the joy of union with God. Adultery is a a distorted reflection. If you idolize marriage or commit adultery, then you've settled for less than living water. Sin is like the distorted reflection of a beautiful sunset that shifts with every movement of the breeze across the water. God is the sun itself in all its beauty and glory and energy. I love that reminder. Um... So we just keep thinking we're going to find that satisfaction in something different. And I'm just, I'm so convinced and I, I'm so convicted that like it really is. Like what God says is real. You know, what, like I, how many times have I proven that what I think, when I think I know something better than God, I'm wrong. Like I've proven that so many times. We all have. And yet he's saying like find life in me. I'm the source of this whole thing. You're carving out these wells for yourself that are never going to be filled up. And they're never going to satisfy. They're leaking. They're broken. C.S. Lewis, I've got this long quote from him that I'm not going to read, but um, it's, if, you, if you get a chance to read the last chapter of The Problem of Pain, it's just life-changing. And he talks about how every, every joy, every longing, everything we've ever experienced is this longing ultimately for God, and that he himself is the one that satisfies that whole thing. Um, so I just want us to believe this statement. God is good, so I don't need to look elsewhere. 
um, I want to encourage us to just walk out of here um, with renewed conviction of, okay, like I, we're still imperfect. I promise you I'm going to sin coming out from here. Maybe not what you want to hear your pastor say, but I'm just, I'm real. It's going to happen. You are too. Um, but I want us to be these people that are sold on this thing of like, the glory days, man, the glory days are not what we think they were. You know, like the glory days are coming ahead and we've, and the glory days are every moment in the midst of even the hard things in life where we experience God's goodness. And I just want to, I want to encourage you, like the idea of experiencing God in, in um, unexpected ways. So many of you, your most profound experiences of God are in your deepest moments of pain. Like, I just know that that's true. So you would never sit there and say, okay, God, please just like, would you like, take the life of someone I love dearly so that I can have an encounter with you. You know, you would never pray that. You, you would never say, Lord, Lord, please give me this diagnosis of cancer so that I can have this deep, ex-. like you would never pray that. And yet often that is the place where we're like in this grief and you're like, I don't know how this ends. I don't know how, the, I don't know how there could be good in this. And that's the unexpected place, the well that we go to. And suddenly Jesus is there and he's just saying, hey, I've got all this living water. It's for you. Um, I, I wish I could tell you like exactly how to do this. Um, I'm still working on it. And maybe, maybe like, come back next year and maybe I'll have it figured out. I don't know. But, like, I'm still working on this. And I, I just, I, it's a pursuit that I want us to be on together. And it's something that if you're just sitting here and you're just like, I have no idea what that looks like, I just want you to ask the Lord. Like, Lord, would you show me what that looks like? I want that. Like, even just saying to him that you want it, I think, is such a big step in the journey. Um, it's something I would love to talk to you more about. It's something that we, um, we as a church family, want to explore together. Um, Whatever longing you're trying to get met in whatever things you're doing, good or bad, I promise you Jesus is the answer to that longing um, in a deeper way than we could ever imagine. So let me, let me pray for us. We're going to sing um, some more, and um, let's just offer these things to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for uh, this reminder. Um, as Jeremiah, as you said through him so long ago, that um, Lord, we are so good at trying to find these sources of satisfaction, and yet we're so unsuccessful in our attempts to find satisfaction in anything but you, Lord. Lord, would you, um, would you let us walk away from this morning um, not remembering words that I said, but just, just Lord, these, these echoes, this sense of like you are the fulfillment. Would you let that linger in our hearts, Lord? Um, Lord, would you, would you help us to find this living water that you're talking about, that you, that you just freely offer to us, that, that we just ask you for water and you give us living water. Lord, would that be true for us? Would we every single one of us right now and in the days and weeks and years ahead, just ask you again and again for that living water. And Lord, I pray for this family. Lord, would our church family be ones where these springs of living water are coming from inside of each of us? Lord, because you are the source. Lord, you are the one that fills us up. Lord, would you make each of us this well of your life and your joy and your love? Would that spill out to the people around us? Would it sustain us? Lord, would we would we every day um, from here somehow, Lord, know more fully and more deeply how true it is that you are good, and so we don't need to look elsewhere. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.